1: Hey, this is Dr. Brett McCabe, clinical and sports psychologist and owner of The Mindset. If you want to learn how to win your relationships and leverage them and work them to get them to where you want them to go, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell.
0: I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. But first, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, Head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. Love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Brett McCabe. Brett is a clinical and sports psychologist. He's worked with 10 players from the PGA Tour who have had over 10 wins in the last 12 months. He is a sports psychology consultant to the University of Alabama Athletic Department and former national champion collegiate athlete. Brett, welcome to the show, man. Super stoked to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're most excited about right now?
1: You know, what I'm most, thank you for having me. What I'm most excited about, look, life is competition, man. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, as people in anything we do in life, it's about winning. Let's just call it like it is. It's not so much about getting the, you know, trophy or the ribbon anymore. It's about getting it done and winning. I think that's what's cool right now.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. So let's go back here. And you said, just like I was talking about in the bio, former national champion, collegiate athlete, your clinical and sports psychologist. So where did all of this start? I'm assuming sports is something that's in your blood, something you were always doing. How did you like mix psychology
1: into that? Yeah. So baseball was always something that was big to me. My dad was a college baseball player and he was also an officer in the military and moved around a lot. So sports were always really the fabric of what we did in playing baseball and and yeah, I kind of was coached by him and and then I would play for other people and, and we'd moved to new town, and I was always on the worst team because you're always a new kid and, and you're not part of the legacy teams and you get your butt beat a few times and it you know, just kind of became the fabric of what we did and had an opportunity to go play at LSU for LSU baseball, which is at the time was just, we were just about to start our national championship run and really wasn't good enough to play there, but had a good opportunity from a coach that had a system in place and a system that developed players and got players ready for the moment. And mm-hmm. He brought me in and said, look, you're going to red shirt. And I did. And we read, we won the national title that year and then came back and it wasn't good enough to play. Like you told me I wasn't, and then figured it out and got really good, really fast. And then got injured and struggled with some injuries and lost a lot of confidence, lost my way, lost a lot of the ease of the game, and then figured it out by working on the mental side of the game, but the figure it out, I wasn't the same guy, but I had a lot of success, but I wasn't the same guy. I wasn't like draftable at that point and wasn't going to play minor league baseball or major league baseball, like my roommates and things like that. And I knew that. And so I got turned on to psychology kind of late. I wasn't a psychology guy at all. In fact, I was in business school. I wanted to go to law school. Hmm. But when I figured out the mind had so much to do with success and failure and what it took for me to start fighting for what I wanted versus trying to protect against what I feared, when I finally went all in on that, and I was like, hey, look, this psychology stuff's pretty... Cool. Mm-hmm. Changed my major with about a semester left of school and took another year of undergrad and then did my doctorate at LSU in clinical psychology because I wanted to work with, yeah, I, my idea was, look, I want to go to the top of the mountain. I want to study with the people who study the best. I want to work with the both extremes because I know I want to come back and work in performance at some point, but I don't think you can work in performance if you don't understand what people who are suffering are going through. And so... I worked with people with medical illnesses and depression in primary care settings, and, and then did my internship at Brown Medical School up in Rhode Island. Psychologists do a one-year internship. It's like a residency for medicine, and we went up there, and then I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for eight years and wanted to learn business, huh. wanted to know how billion-dollar decisions are made. I knew where I always wanted to go, scared to death to do it my dad was very ill at the time. And I remember sitting there and thinking, you know, my dad always had a job after he got out of the military that he didn't really enjoy. He was a pharmacist and always felt like he regretted being a, not being a physician. And it wasn't until the very end, right before he passed away, he realized why his, his happiness and what he was doing was about helping other people find peace and some confusion, which a lot of times patients would come into the pharmacy and not know why they were prescribed certain meds. And I remember him telling me, don't ever resist not going for what you dream for, because you can always make it up later if you fail. Hmm. And, and so I did, I decided, you know what, I'm, leave this business working in pharma. I had a cush job making a great living with all my expenses paid for. I could play golf on Fridays. And I was like, I had to put my butt on the line a little bit. I felt like I had to do what I wanted to do. And I was kind of consulting with some players individually and they were having some successes, but I was like, you know what? I really want to do this, but I didn't really have any analogies or uh, analogs. I didn't have anybody I could look at and say, you know what? That is what somebody else in my field can do. most people who are sports psychologists or mental coaches, they work multiple different things and then they kind of work with athletes on the side. Right. I wanted to be all in. And so my wife and I sat down and we had a kid who was starting high school, my oldest. And it's like, well, I don't really have a, I was young. I was about eight, nine years ago before I was turning 40. And I said, you know what? Now's the time to do it. And got four years to save for college for her, but I'm going all in. And we sat down developed a plan. And she said, well, if you can replace your salary in one month while you're working in the pharmaceutical industry with what you're doing consulting wise, then go for it. And I did it in February, which, you know, it was 28 day month. And I remember calling her saying, okay, did I do it? And she said, you did it, but you didn't take into account what we have to take out for taxes. I was uh-huh. like, well, you're changing the game on me <laughs> yeah. here. Moving the target, and yeah moving the target. And I went and sat down with my boss in the pharmaceutical industry. And she's like, well, I know you've wanted to leave for a couple of years. And that's why we, she had allowed me to work remotely a little bit and do some moonlighting, but also work on a project that was I, something I wanted to try out. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to secure a couple of contracts coming back consulting with the pharmaceutical industry and then open up my own practice. And we've been, let's see, we started it officially in 2011. You know, we're adding commas, which is amazing for somebody that does what we do. And I'm shocked at the success that we've had, but I love the entrepreneurship aspect of it. It's hard as hell, but the way we have built this business is doing a great job and having people talk about us versus leveraging our clients. So I don't put my clients out on social media and I don't talk about them on my website. If you want on my website, you probably don't know who I work with besides my bio. And I kind of like it that way. That's how I got here.
0: Yeah, man, that's a, incredible story. I like so much of that because first of all, there was an adjustment that happened, right? So you were dealing, I mean, you're playing the sport that you love, right? You're playing baseball and I, I grew up playing basketball and it's such a cool feeling to like to just love a game that much. So you're playing this game and then start getting injured. Same thing happened to me. And I was not playing on the same level that you were in college, but definitely injuries were just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And I just started realizing, hey, I'm going to have to make a switch here. And you did the same exact thing. And what I like about it is that you didn't just like roll over and say like, oh my gosh, my life is over. I can't play baseball anymore. What am I going to do? It was like, okay, baseball's not going to work out. Let me see what I can do here. And you pick something and you went full-fledged into it, which is really cool. Can you talk about the mindset there? Was there a time period where you were like, man, this is stupid. I can't believe I wasted all that time playing baseball or like, what did that look like?
1: Well, no, I mean, the contacts that I had and the players that I interacted with, I mean, you know, the good news about playing at LSU, you, you know, you're part of championship programs and you're winning national titles and you're doing great things and you're playing against players that are playing at the highest level of major league baseball. And it's like solving a puzzle. And, you know, some guys have all the talent in the world and the, that puzzle at that level comes easy to them. Then they have to face the puzzle at the next hardest level. You know, we all assume in life that we're all going to progress through the same levels of life and have the same levels of success. It's not true. It's just like a video game. You know, there's certain levels that some of us can't get by. And for me, my upper level, upper limit level was college baseball. And I, you know, I pitched very well my last two years and led the team in appearances and all the statistics that were there. But I remember hanging up my cleats and saying, Okay, I've got to find something different because everything I've ever known my entire life has been playing a sport. Now what? Well, when I decided to go into psychology, I remember my academic advisor at the time saying, Look, you're not going to get into LSU because you went there undergrad. And I was like, Well, I've got to because my fiance, who's now my wife, is in nursing school here and I gotta go here. So it was figure out a way to get in. And I did exactly what your podcast title is, right? Is I built my network and my coach's daughter was getting her doctorate in clinical psychology. Just so the listeners know, in a PhD program, they'll take about 500 applications to select 10. And it depends on, you've got to compete and match what the major professors that are bringing you in want you to study. So you have to show a track record. I didn't have a track record because I was playing ball. Well, thankfully, my coach's daughter said, hey, Brett, there's a guy here who's a massive New York Yankees fan. He studies sleep. Nobody ever applies under sleep, but I think he would really like you. And I was like, well, I'd like sleep. It's kind of medical. started studying it. And I worked with him for about two and a half years until he was kind of retiring in his role and I was able to transition. So what I did is I went up there and spent a lot of time with him, hobnobbed and built the network and networked and got to know the professors. And they were saying, you know, look, you're not going to get in because you did your undergrad here. And I was like, well, why? Show me why I can't. And so then I outperformed the test to get in. And then I said, look, if you give me a chance, I'll outperform everybody else here. I just need an opportunity. And thankfully, because I'd gotten to know this guy and had connections, it worked out. And it was just to your point, building that network.
0: Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, exactly. And here's what it comes down to, Brett, is that when you knocked on the front door and they slammed that door in your face, you didn't just move on you went and kicked down the back door or you got a ladder and climbed in through the third story window. Like there's always another way into a house. You just have to sit and figure it out. And if you want something, which sounded like you really did, if you want something, there's nothing that can stand your way to getting it done. If you're willing to put in the work and you're willing to meet the people and do the studying to put yourself in the position to get what you want accomplished, accomplished.
1: Well, and you got to think about, you're exactly right. Look, for us to get to what we really want, people only change for one of two reasons. They have to, or they want to, there's no in between. And so either you really, really want to, or you really, really have to think about losing weight, right? There's a reason why the weight loss market, the nutritional supplement market, the exercise equipment market is such a goldmine is because people don't stick with it. So it's a recurring revenue in a model that is leveraging on people's insecurity and inefficiencies. All right. Mm -hmm. So it's a great business model. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. It's like church. I mean, no offense. I mean, right, church people right. come once a week and dentist people come in twice a year, despite the fact that every dentist I've ever talked to said, you don't really need to come in twice a year, but they've made you believe that you have to come in twice a year to take care of your teeth. Yeah. So when we look at stuff, most of us go, I want that, but it's not worth the sacrifice or I need to do that. And they'll do it to a point where the pain is gone, not the full pain, but the short-term pain. So they bail. And for me, My pain was, what the hell else was I going to do if I didn't go to psychology? I had left the business school. I went in, now got an undergraduate degree in psychology, which... I don't know about you. I don't know if anybody who's listening to this got an undergraduate degree in psychology. That is not the degrees that you see on fortune magazine that tells you the greatest undergraduate degrees to have. (laughs) It's a cool degree. You're going to learn a lot and it's a lot of fun and you're going to, I mean, you're going to learn some fascinating. So I think psychology should be one of those mandatory. I think teaching and psychology should be mandatory minors for everybody in school because you learn how to change behavior and you learn how to do it teaching. So I think, you know, for me, it was, I had nothing to lose. And you know, the brain naturally, because it's about one, to and have to, is always looking for threats. So we're always protecting and the protection there would have been, don't try, just assume that you miss the boat. But yeah. I was like, you know what? Tell me why I can't. And it's the same way in business. Tell me why I can't succeed starting a business on sports and performance psychology. And there's a lot of people in my field who make their businesses look a lo- lot larger than they really are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they buy Twitter followers or they right. make their following like that, but and they're frauds. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to say, I could do this. It's the same thing that once I finally make my decision to do something, I'm going to do it. Now, I wish I could put that energy towards exercising and losing weight, but it's not that important.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So tell me how winning works into the idea of psychology because I find it fascinating that you have a higher education background, but you still put a ton of focus on winning because I and this might just be me stereotyping here, but it seems like most of the people that I meet that are that go that higher education route end up being more on the, you know, like everybody's a winner. Don't let your mind tell you that you're a loser type thing. So it was interesting to me when you first came out, we're like, hey, look, this whole thing's about winning, but you have this like big prestigious background as far as education goes as well. Can you kind of talk into that for a second? Am I making any sense with this?
1: No, you're making complete sense. And, and there's, so it's funny when you're in grad school, they would bring in like this external professor or somebody who is working out in the industry. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was at Brown and Brown is probably one of the, I was way, I always laughed. They needed a South Louisiana kid to go there every so often. And that's how I got in, (laughs) but it's one of the top internships for psychology. And the training there is just incredible. And the alumni are just esteemed. It's just ridiculous. It was an honor to be there. And I'm sitting in there and they bring in, you know, the faculty's up there talking, they bring in this guy who's a, who's a former faculty member that left for business. he created a business idea and leveraged it and made a lot of money on it. And he's mm-hmm. stood up there and he goes, guys, look, you know, all y'all are out here writing grants and you got to write 50% of the grant override has to go to the university. So if you write a $2 million grant, it's got to be for 4 million or, you know, 3 million to go to the university, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, well, I'd rather spend that money goes in my pocket.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: And he's up there and he goes, so I want you to look at our shoes. And he goes, this is your faculty. He goes, Tony. And Tony was our clinical chair. Great guy. He goes, and they were best friends, so he could do this. He said, lift up your feet for a minute. Take off your shoes. He goes, see, his shoe has a hole in the bottom. See, my shoe is an Italian leather that's about $500 a pair. That's (laughs) the difference between business and academics. I think the academic mindset is about discovery a lot of times. Mm. And the business mindset is about winning. And you can blend the two. Uh, They just, most of the time in academics, though, they're trying to solve an answer. I would say that the answer doesn't always include winning. I think in business you're trying to win. Right. Because somebody's going to get your business if not. And it's survival. Academics, you know, they have a concept called tenure, which once you achieve a certain level you can't really be ousted anymore unless you do something super super inappropriate. And so most people who get tenure can stop. They've satisfied their intellectual and then that, in theory it, it gives them the opportunity to explore additional intellectual ideas without having some risks. Well, it's about discovery. So great academics are thinkers; they're philosophers. They're solvers. Business people are solving puzzles. Hmm. They're trying to figure out. So I think they can coexist. For me, I entered academics as the zebra in a field of horses. Yeah, I was always different. I knew I wanted to do different things. I knew I wanted to interact in different ways. And I was thankful to have instructors and a leader. One of my mentors at Brown, who was like, first meeting we sat down, he goes, you ain't like the others, so let's get you the business plan that works for you. I still talk to him monthly, care for him greatly. He is the reason I'm where I'm at, because he understood I was different. Yeah. And it's okay to be different. I think, you know, I always say we have to embrace our variants, We have to understand our differences instead of fighting them. That's what makes us great. And for me, I was very fortunate. So winning to me has been a part, but growing up, my mom and dad I was an only child, but Even when my dad was in the military, my mom would just work side jobs and she always wanted to be the number one salesperson, the number one retail cosmetic person. She always wanted to win. My dad was the same way. So if you're going to do it, win it. Mm. Now, that was important for us, but I also understood the, the backside of losing. I understand all that other stuff. So I think the competitiveness of me has just been there since I was a kid. Academics was just a platform that allowed me to do what I wanted to do.
0: How do you think growing up playing sports played into that mentality?
1: Well, I mean, I think it was about winning, right? One of the things that gets me is in today's world, people always say trust the process. And I work for Alabama and Nick Saban used that term a lot. When I was at LSU, we had trust the system. But the misnomer is that those coaches go trust the process and that's just good enough. So people run around going, well, I mean, I just trusted the process. And I'm like, well, those coaches say trust the process so I can kick your butt. (laughs) And their job is to dominate you, right? So they're using a process. The process is the vehicle. For most people, they say it's the goal. I just trusted the process. Well, for me as an athlete, it was all about whatever it took to win we would do. And, and my coach, thankfully, I, we, I sat with him a couple years ago at a reunion. He's 80 now. And we were talking and I said, you know, coach, what was the thing you're most proud of as a coach? And he's like, well, I mean, you know, the ac-. I said, yeah, I know the academics, the national titles, five titles, 10 years. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. I get it. AD at LSU. Okay. I get it. Blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Okay. He goes, my teams had the highest winning percentage in NCAA history under high pressure moments because I trained you guys for that. I didn't train. Most people train hoping that their material, their information is going to succeed when they get into the moment. I put you in the moment all the time so you knew what you had when you got there. He said, our practices were intense. Our competition was constant competition. Our games were constantly monitored. You were constantly challenged because if you couldn't handle it, I didn't want to waste any more time on you. I wish you on your way, but I wanted guys that could handle the moment and it may be walk-ons. We started a ton of. I was a walk. I was a preferred walk-on, non-scholarship academic kid. But it didn't matter if I could get it done. I got to play. So that competitive mindset, I got in the right environment that that competition was fostered, sharpened, and then I understood who I was in the moment, so that I knew what to do and what to trust.
0: Yeah, for me, it's been such a big. So I wanted to ask that question because for me, as far as sports playing into business, it's it's helped me not only have a competitive advantage over a lot of people who aren't used to competition. But it also got me into the mindset to be able to always be looking for the way to win as far as like, if I know that this person over here that I'm competing against isn't willing to do this, I know that I am willing to do that because I already did it, right? Like it gives me a boost in confidence because I can look back to when I played a lot of basketball and be like, oh, you know what? When I do put my mind to something, I was the best and I outworked everybody, and we did win championships and we did do this and we did do that. So now it's like a point of reference that I can look back at now that I'm in business, even though business and basketball don't have anything to do with each other, I can look back at it and just be like, okay, if I could do it there, if I could rise to the top there, then I can definitely do it here. Have you found that to be true?
1: It is. And I think what athletes do, though, is they probably develop we call three R's, right? Is they find a certain level of resilience to work through anything to continue to fight for the ultimate goal. They find the relentless attitude to never stop until they find it. Or they keep competing, knowing that even if they solve today, tomorrow's a new opportunity, you're never going to get to the bottom line. And then the last thing is they're resourceful is that they'll use what they have in whatever way that they have. I think where players, people get in trouble is they say, well, it has to be this way. It has to be done a certain way to be successful when it's like, no, it doesn't Mm -hmm. great athletes great competitors in life, they'll figure a way out. It might be moving somebody who's in a non-traditional setting in their business to marketing, but they have a hunger for it. They don't look at the resume and say, well, I mean, you didn't go to the Wharton business school, so you can't be a, mar-. it's like, I need somebody who's hungry. Right. I want somebody who's going to get it done. And that's what athletes are. It's like, look, if I got to move a second baseman to third to get the game better, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. If I got to put LeBron James down on the post, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And great athletes will go whatever it takes. Now, I think sometimes athletes get a bad rap, but I think they bring it on themselves too by in today's world of athletics, things do come easy because things are giving at a higher rate because of the status, you know, so they don't always have to work as hard mm-hmm. for certain things. So they may sometimes get a little complacent, but great competitors are great competitors. It doesn't matter the setting there and they're, they're going to figure it out. I think if we look at business, great competitors are going to win no matter where they're at. They right. will win right? because they're they're not going to sleep till they do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you take. It's always the funny thing when people are talking about like wealth redistribution. If you distributed all the wealth evenly tomorrow, all the wealth in in America evenly between everybody, in five years it'd be back exactly where it sits right now because the people who did it are the people who can do it again.
1: Well, psychologically, you know, entitlements of any kind, right, is we assume by theory that people are going to have the same psychological motivation to achieve and to overcome. That's not true. Some people look at it and go, ooh, that's sufficient. So, you know, it's like I look in my office and we've got a staff of probably eight, people. Not everybody is a salesperson. Not everybody is, you know, there are some people who are wonderful technicians and they look at their salary and they say, it's enough to live on. I'm happy to do this because it allows me to do other things. There's other people in my business. I've got a guy who was so valuable in my organization. We sat down he's like, what's my take when I grow this business? I'm like, I love that question. Like for him, it's not about, I'm going to make you this amount of money and I just want my regular bonus that I can get, I want to have some skin in the game and I want to get after it. Right. Right. I love that. That's the mindset I understand. So to your point, I remember sitting with my advisor in grad school. He's, we were talking about, I worked in a low income charity setting for four years of grad school and providing healthcare and things. And And my dissertation was on free medication. We had given them medication for diabetes for two years for free mm-hmm. to try to get them to improve their type two diabetes, major, major health issue and expenditures in the health place. And what we found was it didn't increase their adherence rates at all, giving them free medication. The number one reason why people didn't take their medicine because it was too expensive and it was free. Wow. <laughs> now here's why. What happened was it, the cost of adhering to a healthy diabetic lifestyle is too expensive. Mm-hmm. So the medication is the easy answer. People always give you the easy answer. Like it's cost, can't afford it. When most people go, well, I'll discount the cost. You're not getting to the psychological reason as to why people don't want to change. Entitlements give them the money and assume that they're going to want to change. It's not the case. Some people in the low income settings don't feel that they'll have a fair shake because many don't. Some people don't feel that they will be successful given that responsibility because they've messed up things in the past. Some people don't want to do the extra work. I mean, they're lazy. It just means, is it worth all this work is going to be worth the sacrifice? Maybe not. There's a lot of reasons. So what happens is people look at their current state and go, it's okay. Right. It's good enough. And so they stay there and it takes certain, I mean, if everybody was an entrepreneur in this world, we wouldn't have any, we wouldn't have static fortune 100 businesses because Mm -hmm. People would look at him and they'd run him in the ground because they get bored. That's why I always use an example like Joe Torrey was a great manager right, in Major League Baseball, but he wasn't that good at the two previous stops. He did okay with the Braves. He was horrendous as a Cardinals guy because I was a Cardinal fan. He goes to the Yankees and he's one of the best managers ever. Goes to the Dodgers, wasn't very good. The reason was he was able to adapt to that scenario and he was a perfect match. Hmm. Buck Showalter has built four teams. He built the Yankees and got fired. They brought in Torrey. They win. He built the Diamondbacks. He gets fired. Bob Brinley comes in, wins. He builds the Rangers. gets fired. Ron Washington comes in, gets them to the World Series. They were perfect matches for guys that had been coached really, really hard to come in and kind of take pressure off. And they played great. So people have to look at this as everybody has different experiences. Everybody has different ways of going about it. Right. And income distribution is people have to have a deep want to get out of where they are and get away from the natural comfort. The natural comforts what keeps us where we are. That's why when we look at money, cost is never the reason why people don't make a change. Yeah.
0: There's so much good stuff that we could go into here, Brett, but do need to move on soon. But I want to ask this one question before we move on to the last segment, because I ask every guest that comes on the show this question. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why?
1: That's a great question. I believe it's who you know and how you manage those relationships. It's not leveraging them. Hmm. Leveraging it means you're using. I think what you know is great, but it's what you do when you're in the heat of the moment and who can open up networks for you that does matter. And I think if people know if you're disingenuous, so this program I was telling you about before we went on about working in changing human behavior, we'd gone in the pharmaceutical industry and gone and met with physicians and thought leaders and Everyone always says, I need to leverage relationships in order to gain understanding. And what I kept saying was, it's not about leveraging the relationship. It's about knowing who the relationship is and where you can make an impact. So what we did is we went in and did a full assessment and we called it a passive assessment because they didn't know they were being assessed. But what we did is we went in and asked questions to find areas of opportunities to educate. And instead of fighting resistance, we embraced it and made it part of the education platform. And we changed their behavior without them knowing, in all honesty, that we were detailed, not detailing them, but we were actually targeting them with targeted information. If somebody says, you know, there are people who resist information. So if your relationship is with somebody who's very defensive and resistant, yeah, why are they defensive and resistant? They may not know what they're really talking about, and they don't want you to know that. Or they may really know what they're talking about, and they disagree with you. Those are two completely different people.
0: I love that answer. And I was really looking forward to your answer to that question because I was curious with somebody that has as high of an education as you have. um, I was curious to hear like, are you going to say who are you going to say the what? Because you know a lot of what, but you know, it's funny that in order to get to the what, like in order to get into those programs that you are talking about, it was because of the who, like what we were talking about, because you built a network, built relationships. That's the only reason that you were even be able to attain the what that you ended up getting anyway, which
1: is. Well, uh, and I'll tell you this data doesn't change people. It doesn't. Yeah. Think about it. How long did it take for us to change human behavior of seatbelts? <laughs> right. Right. You had to put a punishment associated with it. We could tell you that people die at a higher rate by wearing seat. I mean, smoking is a perfect example, but people go, you know what? I'll take the risk. What happened was you had to have information that moved them psychologically to either what they needed or what they wanted. And once you understand that with the people, you can move anybody you can shift. How many of us watch television shows or uh, commercials and we see it and they're like, well, it's a discount at a car dealership. You ain't running out and buying a car. But when you're looking for a car and somebody has made you interested and created some cognitive dissonance in you that your current car is not the one that you really want, and there might be an alternative out there, but you don't know what it is. Now, all of a sudden, you're paying attention to those car dealership ads and they're going to run a special over Memorial Day weekend or Labor Day weekend. I think I need to go look. Yeah. Yeah. Now that information is relevant to a need that you've created within yourself.
0: Brad, thanks so much for coming to the show, man. I really wish we had some more time, but we do need to move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call Absolutely. the random round, just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Yep. Let's do it. This is the random round. What profession other than your own, do you think it would be fun to attempt?
1: Oh, well, wow. You know what? I think a chef, I love chef shows. I love the ingenuity of that. I don't think I could work in the pressure cooker of a kitchen, but I think that'd be fun.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why?
1: Oh, wow. Another good question. Yeah. First thought I had was somebody like a Gandhi or a Mother Teresa about compassion for other human beings. I think that'd be really fascinating.
0: How do you like to consume content, books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Observation. Observation. That's a good one. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: God I wish it was really fancy. Uh wake up, <laughs> drink a Diet Coke or two, come in I like to have I like to be able to have breakfast by myself in the mornings. What I mean is find a place that has some eggs and bacon and sit down and process the day before I get started. My days are usually 13-14 hour days and so that morning in the it really helps me to prepare.
0: What is your go-to pump-up song?
1: Anything Guns N' Roses? I am a GNR fan deep down. My favorite song is sounds probably kind of cheesy, it's November Rain. I just love the transition statement in there. So Probably not one you hear very often.
0: (laughs) What is something that you are just not very good at?
1: Running. Running. Dieting. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get
0: everything wrapped up here. Brett, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most?
1: Probably TheMindSide.com is our portal for everything. And through that, you can find my Instagram and Twitter stuff to get to my personal stuff. i have got some new information coming out on how you can win every moment and how you can learn to compete in everything that you do so you can stop sucking and start winning.
0: Perfect. Perfect. TheMindSide.com. That's TheMindSide.com. Go check out some of Brett's stuff. He's got some amazing things. I mean, To be able to work with Nick Saban and the crew at U of A, I'm, I'm, I can't even imagine what kind of information that you have on the psychology of winning. I mean, that's a whole topic that we weren't even able to cover in this episode, but I'm sure there's some fantastic content out there. So go check out some more of Brett's stuff. Reach out to him. Say what's up. Tell him you heard about him here on the show. Brett, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.dot.media/fb to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies, and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn